64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor, SF Walker. I'm here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. And today we look at Plato, not Prozac. Applying Eternal Wisdom to Everyday Problems by Lumarinov, PhD. In this video, we're going to find out that what you'd find, having worked through your issue philosophically, is an open-minded, deep-seated, lasting way of facing whatever comes your way, now and in the future. You'd find this true peace of mind through contemplation, not medication. Plato, not Prozac. It requires clear, sharp thinking, but it isn't above your head. So stick around until the end. I will share with you some tools I have and use that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. As established religious institutions lose their authority with more and more people, and as psychology and psychiatry exceed the limits of their usefulness in people's lives and begin to do more harm than good, many people are coming to the realization that Philosophical expertise encompasses logic, ethics, values, meaning, rationality, decision-making in situations of conflict or risk, and all the vast complexities that characterize human life. By getting a handle on their personal philosophies of life, sometimes with the help of the great thinkers of the past, people can build a framework for managing whatever they face and go into the next situation more solidly grounded and spiritually or philosophically whole. They need dialogue, not diagnoses. The questions we all ask, what is a good life? What is good? What is life about? Why am I here? Why should I do the right thing? What is the right thing? These are not easy questions, and there are no easy answers, or we wouldn't still be mulling them over, though two people will automatically arrive at the same answer. But we all have a set of operating principles we work from, 
whether or not we are conscious of them and can enumerate them. Philosophy was originally a way of life, not an academic discipline, a subject to not only be studied but applied. It was only in the last century or so that philosophy became completely consigned to an esoteric wing of the ivory tower, full of theoretical insight, but empty of practical application. See, my job is to help my clients understand what kind of a problem they face, and through dialogue, to disentangle and classify its components and implications. I help them find the best solutions, a philosophical approach compatible with their own belief system, yet consonant with the time-honored principles of wisdom that will help in leading a more virtuous and effective life. I work with clients to identify their beliefs and consider replacing unhelpful ones and explore universal questions of value, meaning and ethics. You can learn to do the same for yourself, though it may help to have another mind at work on the same subject. It is the dialogue, the exchange of ideas itself, that is therapeutic. When Socrates declared that the unexamined life is not worth living, he was arguing for constant personal evaluation and striving for self-improvement as the highest calling. It is normal to have problems, and emotional distress is not necessarily a disease. People looking for a way to monitor and manage a world that is growing ever more complex do not need to be labeled with a disorder when they're actually treading a time-honored path to a more fulfilling life. Differences between psychological, psychoanalytic, psychiatric, and philosophical approaches to counseling. Imagine you're in the middle of a chess game and you've just made a move. Your psychotherapists ask you what made you make that move. Well, I wanted to capture the castle, you respond. A once popular but now strongly criticized psychological theory would have suggested that your present aggressive behavior, wanting to capture the castle, stems from some past frustration. Your psychoanalyst would ask you the same question, what made you make that move when you answer, well, I wanted to capture the castle. Psychoanalyst would follow up with, very interesting, now, what made you say that that was what made you make that move? A still current but now strongly criticized psychoanalytic theory would have suggested that your possessive behavior, wanting to capture the castle, stems from your repressed insecurity at having been weaned from the breast. Your psychiatrist would also ask you, what made you make that move? Again, you reply, well, I wanted to capture the castle. Now, your psychiatrist 
consults her latest edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM, until she finds a personality disorder that best describes your symptoms. A still current, but increasingly criticized psychiatric theory would have diagnosed your behavior as the symptom of a brain disease, and you would be drugged to suppress the so-called symptom. By contrast, your philosophical counselor might ask you what meaning, purpose, or value does this move have for you now? And what bearing does it have on your next move? And how would you assess your overall position in this game, and how might you improve it? The philosopher looks at the move not merely as an effect of some past cause, but as something significant in the present context of the game itself, as well as the cause of future effects. For the most part, personal unhappiness, group conflict, gross incivility, shameless promiscuity, epidemic crime, and orgiastic violence are products not of a society that is mentally ill, but of a system that, through lack of visionary statesmanship and philosophical virtue, has allowed and encouraged society to become morally disordered, if in principle anything could have caused anything else, as long as one preceded the other. The danger is that once you have a theory, you just pick out the items that fit your theory and disregard the rest, as Abraham Maslow finally pointed out. If the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, a lot of things start looking like nails. Knowing the cause of their psychiatric pain, but having no avenue to reduce it, makes some people even worse. An approach of giving it a much fancier name, which still reveals precisely nothing about the problem. Simply, simply calling something a syndrome doesn't guarantee that we know what we're talking about, even when there's something medically that is physically wrong. If your problem is about identity or values or ethics, your worst bet is to let someone refi a mental illness and write a prescription. There is no pill that will make you find yourself, achieve your goals, or do the right thing, if your root problem is philosophical. Nothing on your pharmacist's shelves is going to give you lasting relief. People have a weakness for a quick fix. We have trusted in technology to improve our lives and provide an easy answer to everything. The only way to have a true, lasting solution to a current personal problem is to work at it, resolve it, learn from it, and apply what you've learned to the future. That is the focus of philosophical counseling, distinct among the countless types of therapy available. PEACE, P-E-A-C-E, -E, is an acronym that stands for five stages that you go through. Problem, Emotion, 
analysis, contemplation, and equilibrium. The acronym is fitting, since these steps are the surest path to the longest peace of mind. Sometimes specifying the problem is more complicated than it seems, so this step may require some work if the parameters of what you're dealing with are not obvious. Second, you must take stock of the emotions provoked, provoked by the problem. This is an internal accounting. You must experience emotions genuinely and then channel them constructively. Most psychology and psychiatry never progress beyond this stage, which is why their benefits are limited. Third step analysis. You enumerate and evaluate your options for solving the problem. An ideal solution would settle both the external issues, the problem, and the internal one's emotions, stirred up by the problem. But an ideal solution isn't necessarily realizable. Fourth stage. You take a step back, gain some perspective, and then contemplate your entire situation. To this point, you have compartmentalized each of the stages in order to get a handle on them. But now, you exercise your whole brain to integrate them. Rather than dwelling on the individual trees, you examine the shape of the forest. Finally, after articulating the problem, expressing your emotions, analyzing your options, and contemplating a philosophical position, you reach equilibrium. You understand the essence of your problem, and you are ready to take appropriate and justifiable action. Due to the ability of those closest to us to hurt us the most, as well as love us the best. You have a capacity to do a certain amount of good, which is always accompanied by ability to do similar amount of evil. The more passion people have, the more they can attract or repel each other. The opposite of passionate is not hatred, it is indifference. Even if you are really in love, and even if the feeling is mutual, you still aren't guaranteed happiness. If you want to avoid painful endings, you will have to use your power in relationship wisely and keep up the necessary maintenance. We all have our own unique philosophical outlook. No two people respond in the same way for the same reasons, even given similar circumstances. You must understand the nature of the game to make a choice. If you know that there's a best move, you must try and find it. Ask yourself, what do I want to gain? What do I want to avoid? What am I willing to risk? What are the other players aiming to gain and avoid? And what will they risk? Short of being assured of the existence of the best move, following decision theory might need estimating the odds of each possible outcome occurring, weighing the likely benefits and drawbacks, and then choosing the path, path most likely to produce the most benefits. Renounce the craving for the past. Renounce the craving for the future. Renounce the craving for what is in between, and cross to the opposite shore. Buddha. Hindu and Buddhist philosophy maintain that permanence and security are illusions. Such illusions breed attraction in the grasping mind. Attraction ferments desires. Desires give rise to attachments and attachments to suffering. The Stoics would agree that pleasure 
can turn into pain quickly if the pleasure comes from attachment. We do get attached to things, even to negative things. We choose the devil we know over the devil we do not know. It is the comfort that slowly poisons us. But we become so habituated to it that we don't even taste the poison. After long periods of knowing nothing else, prisoners come to fear the world outside of their cells. If all the gates swung open one day, many would stay right where they are, doing the right thing for the wrong reason. It doesn't make you a person of integrity. Your motives, as well as your deeds, must be honest. Integrity involves unstinting loyalty and duty to principle, not cold calculation and expedience. The good life is not just a matter of following a set of rules. Virtue ethics means developing character traits that will help you lead that kind of life, and it means considering not only what is best for you, but also what is best for the wider world you live in. Several virtues necessary for leading a good life, including courage, justice, temperance, and even a sense of humor. Distinguish between meaning and purpose to help you reclaim them both in your own life. Purpose is an ultimate object or end to be attained. It is a goal. Meaning has to do with how you understand your life on an ongoing basis. Meaning is in the way things happen, not necessarily in the end result. Understanding depends on experience, and meaning, like experience, is very personal. How well we live, that is, how thoughtfully, how nobly, how virtuously, how joyously, how lovingly, depends both on our philosophy and on the way we apply it to all else. The examined life is a better life, and it is within your reach. And there you have it, Plato, not Prozac, applying eternal wisdom to everyday problems. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too, and spread the word. Leave a comment and share your thoughts. Do subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below, so buy it and read. Never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.